Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to continue through our study through the New Testament. And the Lord has us in Romans 14. Uh, just so you know, on Wednesdays, we study the Old Testament. Uh, Sundays is the New Testament. And here we are in Romans 14. And this is what Paul says. Understand he's writing to a young church. They're a very young church. And it's at a time when you read... Uh, around Acts 20, 21, right around there is when the book of Romans was written. And, you know, if if you uh, uh, if you haven't heard our study through the book of Acts, listen through our study through the book of Acts because, you know, you see the, uh, um, uh, the hands and feet of the Lord, uh, the heart of the Lord uh, through, through the vessels that he uses, the apostles. And what's so beautiful is you see the persecution of the church persecution of Christians. Uh, but then at the same time, you see the fight in the apostles, not just the apostles, but Christians, the early church. And the church was under heavy, uh, heavy handed government at that time. Very, very heavy handed. You know, it, it's uh, uh, you talk about government overreach today. Back then, it was insane to the point where the cost of being a Christian could mean life and death. That's why our Lord himself says, count the cost. Count the cost. What does that mean to be a Christian? I mean, sometimes you live in some circles and it's like, okay, count the cost of being a Christian. It's like, okay, you know, you don't lose anybody. Uh, you, you, you might live in an area where it's completely fine, but then you go to a different part of the world where the cost of being a Christian could cost you your life. You know, pray for the persecuted church. And persecution is getting worse and worse and worse. It's entering Western cultures. It's going to get worse and worse. The signs of the times. We know these things are coming, but does that mean that the word of God changes? No way. No way. We stand in Christ, the rock of salvation. And in continuation in this same spirit that, you know, as Paul continues to teach us through the book of Romans, or as the Lord, you know, through Brother Paul, he says this in verse 1 of Romans 14, receive one who is weak in the faith. Wow, how beautiful. Take this guy in. Take this lady in. Weak in the faith? No big deal. Come on in. Come on in. You know, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. But then he starts to indicate what does it mean to be weak in the faith? And it's not to say that being strong in the faith is necessarily better. Because there are safeguards to protect the body of Christ, to protect Christians. You think, oh, I'm strong in the faith, I'm strong in the faith, I'm good to go. Yeah, that's cool to be strong in the faith, but understand that it's the, the strength of our Lord. The strength that we have, it's Him. You know, in our weakness, He is made strong. He says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And this is very, very, very important in the church. Because this requires maturity. Because the immature, they want to win arguments. They want to win arguments about this, that, this, that, whatever it is. But what Paul is saying here is take somebody who is weak in the faith, but not to fight with them, not, not disputes over doubtful things, he says. Because the mature want to win souls. Immature want to win arguments. The mature want to win souls. Understand that. But then there's a danger of knowledge. You think like, okay, knowledge is good to have. Yes, it's good to have. But understand that it's a tool. Not only that, but knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Never forget that. 
And when Paul says here that, you know, to have uh, 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 doubtful things, you know, to, to have knowledge, you understand that knowledge, it's good to have, but it also puffs up. Plus, those who know, know in part. You know, we're going to study that when we get into Romans 13 or, or 1 Corinthians 13. Those who know, know in part. You see, but then at the same time, what does it, you know, sound doctrine, understand that sound doctrine is the key. He's, it's specific on doubtful things, and that's what we're going to study today. That's what we're going to look at today. He says this in verse 2, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats, he, he who is weak eats only vegetables. So both are believers. Okay, Bo both are believers. Both are adamant about their position. You know, oh, I can eat all things. And one says, you know, oh, I only eat vegetables. So both are adamant in their positions, except one is weak. One is weak and the other is, I'm going to do air quotes here, strong. One is weak in the faith. The other is strong in the faith. Does that mean that one is better over the other? Well, we have to be careful with that. Understand that if you're strong in the faith, you know, it's anytime you think of strength, it's in the Lord and of the Lord and by the Lord and for the Lord. It's not strong like, oh, you know, like if you're in a, if you go to the gym, you know, and somebody's, you know, you bench press 20 pounds and then the guy next to you bench presses 500 pounds and they go, oh, wow, this guy's better. He can bench 500 pounds. No, that's carnal thinking. You have to escape from that mindset of the carnality. And understand here that being strong in the faith. Look at in verse 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. So, you know, remember, the strong is the so-called knowledgeable one. The one who has all this knowledge. Except if since knowledge puffs up, the danger is to, for that person, for that person who is strong to all of a sudden start to despise this person who eats only vegetables. And that's not good. Because remember, if our strength is in, by, for, and in the Lord, would the Lord even do that to a, a lamb or a sheep? Would the Lord? That's not the heart of our Lord. That is not the heart of our Lord. And so it's to say, wait a second, so what do we do? There's, there, there's a duality here. Because in verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let, him, and, let, and let not him who does not eat. So that's supposedly the weak one. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. So whoa, what is happening here? And this word for judge is krino. Which is like ultimate judgment, like, you know, you're going to burn in hell. Remember that there's three forms of crino. There's crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Crino, we can't do. Diacrino and anacrino, we can do. That's discernment. Make a determination. There are derivatives of that crino, but those are the three biggies in the Bible. In the Greek, those are the three biggies. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. And even crino, there are some biblical usage for Christians for crino condemnation of another and not condemnation like you're going to burn in hell but to make a decision for your own self and understanding so there are even the use of crino it's very rare in the bible very rare so what do we have here we have a picture of two believers both are christians one is weak one is so-called weak one is so-called strong 
So what happens? How is this how is this dealt with? How is this handled? Well, understand that there's a danger of knowledge. The Bible, the word of God, it's the sharpest of all sorts. The sharpest of all sorts. I mean, you know like if you have a young child, you know, they might use uh, you know those little cheesy, you know, uh, little kid silverware, plasticware like knives and they're so dull. Because, I mean, you can't cut a steak with it, you know, because it's dull. It's, it's for a child to use. Because that child might cut themselves. Their child might do all kinds of cause harm to themselves. So, or another person, you know. So, you give them this little cheesy knife, little plastic. It's like this, you know. You'd probably be better off with an eraser or something, you know. But it's just like this little, you know, this, this knife. And rightfully so. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's beautiful because that child is young. That child is learning how to use utensils. Learning how to use the knife applicationally, whether it be, uh, you know, cutting through steak or whether it be, you know, putting peanut butter on toast or whether it be whatever. But the same thing applies with the word of God. It's sharp. This is the sharpest, the sharpest of all swords and double-sided. Understand that because... When you wield the sword, when you wield the word of God and you use it in combat, if you don't know what you're doing, you can cause a lot of harm. You can cause a lot of damage to another person and to oneself. It's the sharpest of all sorts. And not only that, it also has the inherent ability to puff. Not that that's the work of the Lord. That's carnality. I mean, have you ever talked to the brainiacs? You know, people who have PhDs, master's degree, you know, in whatever, in, 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 in any, in anything. And it's like, you know, wow, you know, you, you, like a college professor, you talk to a college professor and they're like, they're, they're puffed up. You see that element of pride in knowledge. Yes, they have the knowledge, but you know, man, this guy's also a jerk. Yes, she has the knowledge, but wow, she's also a jerk. Why? Because what we see is that it, 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 knowledge puffs up. The Bible teaches us that, but we also see it in, 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 in the world. We also see it in the world. But then at the same time to understand that in the Bible, in the church, for Christians, for you and for me, to understand this danger of having knowledge of the word of God, it can hurt it can hurt another person. It can hurt ourselves. And you must be able to fight, you know, the word of God as we have this knowledge, as we gain this knowledge, as the Lord teaches us more of the word of God. There's this dichotomy in wielding the sword because as Christians, as warriors, as fighters, you must be able to fight and kill Goliaths. Yes, kill Goliaths. You must, metaphysically speaking. But then you also must be able to nurture the young people, the young lambs. The youngest of the lambs, you must be able to nurture those. There's this two-sided, two, two sides. You see? And so this rule in the church that Paul, I don't say a rule, but this, I mean, it, it's, it's a rule, but it sounds too official. Because it's, it, it's in love. We do it in love. It's to say, hey, let's not dispute over doubtful things. 
Let's not dispute over doubtful things. You see, that's key. I don't eat meat. Oh, it's okay. You know, that's fine. It has to be in accordance with doctrine. Because somebody says, I don't eat meat. Okay, that's fine. You believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, okay. Good to go. Oh, I don't, I, 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 I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat or I, I eat meat. It's okay. Okay, you're a Christian. You believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. It has to be in accordance with doctrine. A lot of times what's happening today is people confuse this concept of, you know, uh, uh, let's not dispute over doubtful things. And they tie it with doctrinal things, which we cannot do. And they start to make excuses such as, I'm going to go to the extreme, but they say, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Christians who not only teach it, but also, you know, they teach it, but then people adhere to that. And they, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. That's what they say. Which is in direct contradiction to the word of God. Don't do that. Never, ever, 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 no matter what, even if it costs you your life, never take the mark of the beast, even when it costs you your head. Don't take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, but this guy has a PhD, a master's degree in theology. He has his, you know, Bible college, Bible school, whatever. That's nice. I don't care. What's what's his authority? Is he not a servant? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't call. I wouldn't even call that servanthood. I would call that an enemy of the cross. To tell people it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Now, if you're wondering, you're listening, you're like, wow, I've heard this guy say this before. What is he talking about? Well, you might have to scroll a little bit. You know, I don't know what platform you listen on, but you, you might have to search a little bit and find this study that says, um, do not take the mark of the beast and listen to that. It's short. It's like, you know, 20 minutes. I don't know. I forget. I say 20 minutes. Sometimes I think I teach for 20 minutes. It turns out to be like 20 minutes times two times three. So, uh, Time, I get lost in time, some, time sometimes. But it's a short one. It's like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know. But listen to that. Do not take the mark of the beast. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Doctrine is key. So there's this biblical truth of let's not dispute over doubtful things. But is the mark of the beast really a doubtful thing? No way. Don't do it. This is why the entirety of scripture is very important because, you know, you have these teachers, these so-called brainiacs, these so-called the learned who are fools. You say, well, that's a heavy indictment. This is the Bible. You just read the Bible. But here we're talking about food. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about food here and we're talking about doubtful things. But then, you know, I mentioned this mark of the beast because people get away with murder. People get away with murder. Teachers, pastors, elders, Bible teachers, they get away with murder because they say, oh, let's not dispute over doubtful things. But then they start teaching heresies. Yeah, go ahead. Take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Now, that's an extreme, but it's happening. We're living in the last days. It's happening. Oh, yeah, let's not dispute over doubtful things, but let's go ahead and go grave soaking. What? That is anathema to Christ. Grave soaking? Oh, let's not dispute over doubtful things. You're in the wrong. 
You're in the wrong. You want to dispute. You, you think it's bad that I go grave soaking. You're in the wrong. Let's not dispute over doubtful things. You see, doctrine is important. That's They make this argument. And they get away with murder. Pastors get away with murder. Where are their co-pastors? Where are their elders? Where are the bishops? Where are the deacons? And then when all of leadership, so-called leadership, when all of leadership goes into crazy town, where are the Chloe's in the church? Where are the Chloe's in the congregation to say, hey, pastor, this is wrong. Hey, elder, this is wrong. Why are you taking the church grave soaking? Why are you teaching the, taking the youth group grave soaking? Just so you know, if you're listening, you're like, what is he talking about grave soaking? Well, there's a global church. A glo- it's a, they, ha- they have a global outreach. They're very popular. Um, they come out of the area in Northern California, uh, in Redding, California, and they teach grave soaking. They actually take their congregation grave soaking youth group. They go on, you know, youth trips they they get on a bus, you know, and you know, they, they go grave soaking. And what is grave soaking? Well, they say, oh, this guy died. You know, he's a, a Christian. He died and the Holy Spirit was mighty in him, which, you know, might've been the case. I don't know. You know, depending on when, if it was like, you know, before 1900, you know, it could be the case. After that, people got crazy. People were crazy back then, but more so as we get further in the last days, people are straight up crazy. So they say, oh, yeah, this guy died, you know, let's go to this gravesite where there's this famous, famous Christian and not even in the local area. They'll like take trips and say, oh, yeah, let's go to this area. You know, there's this famous Christian here. Let's go to his gravesite. Let's go to her gravesite. Let's go to this couple's gravesite. A gravesite, a cemetery. And what do they do? They lay down on the grave. They lay down like, you know, where you see the flowers and stuff. People put flowers. You know, they lay down on the grave. And what they want to do is soak in the Holy Spirit from the grave. You see? What, what is that? For a Christian, be, oh, I'm, I'm weak in the faith. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you, and the power of the Holy Spirit, you think that's going to come from a grave? No way. And pastors get away with it. Famous church. People like their worship. People like their music. And it's spreading, you know. It's kind of like a uh, kind of like a Hillsong type, you know, very, very, very uh, uh, popular. How you know how Hillsong spread? Now look at Hillsong. Hillsong's a mess. Hillsong is a mess. But you know what? Doctrinally, the mess started a long time ago. We're just seeing the fruit of it, and the fruit was already you know evident a while ago. But we're seeing the fruit. Hillsong is a mess. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa! How dare you say that? What do you mean? How dare I say? Look at the fruit. Our Lord says, look at the fruit. Oh, but we're not supposed to cause doubts or disputes over doubtful things. As is written in, in, in Romans 14.1, you say well. But what about doctrine? Is it really a doubtful thing? Is grave soaking a good thing? Are you, are you telling me, my beloved brother, are you telling me, my beloved sister, that grave soaking is okay? Show me in the Bible. Show me in the Word of God where grave soaking is okay. Show me in the Bible where it says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Show me. You see? It's crazy town. In the church. 
Crazy town. In the pulpit. People are crazy. Strong delusion. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And the root causes of it is no love of the truth. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. No love of the truth? Okay, then you, if you have no love of the truth, if I have no love of the truth, if, if anybody has no love of the truth, the risk to that is strong delusion. So what does that tell me? What is that? I mean, I read that and it, it scares me. Straight up, it, it scares me. So it's like, hey, Lord, I'm a, I want to love your truth, Lord. I want to love your truth because I don't want to be under strong delusion, which is a form of judgment. So we have to understand doctrinal elements here to this chapter. Because I tell you the truth, pastors, so-called pastors, so-called elders, so-called Bible teachers, they get away with murder in the church. Remember, if you listen to our study in Acts 20, shepherds can become wolves. It's another sign of the last days when shepherds become wolves. Oh, there's safety. This this guy's a pastor. He's their safety because he's a pastor. Wow, this guy's an elder. There's safety. Be well, what happens when the elder becomes a wolf? You see? No love of the truth. I can't tell you how many times people get mad at me. It happens a lot. <laughs> it happens a lot. And I don't mean to like laugh at that, but it, you know, I'm laughing because it happens a lot. Surprisingly, a lot. Which tells me something, reveals something to me. There's a lot of illiteracy in the church. Biblical illiteracy. People who don't know their Bibles. People who don't know the Word of God. And you know, I don't say that like in a prideful sense. I say it in like the utmost compassion. If that's you, if you're listening and you don't have knowledge of the Word of God, get knowledge. You need to read and you need to study. You have to. Because the days are getting evil. More evil. And I wish I could say like, you know, go to church, go to church, go to church. But I can't say that anymore. Because sometimes people go to a church and what is taught inside that church? You see? So when Paul, he's bringing this up, you know, let's not dispute over doubtful things. Yes, it's biblically, biblically true. I don't want to dispute over doubtful things. And so here he's talking about food. He's talking about diet. You see, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, me personally in my own walk. How I speak with. You know, the, the, the PhD, the doctor in theology, how I speak with the masters in, in divinity, how I speak with those individuals is different than how I speak with lambs and sheep. Different. Because to the so-called learned, they should know. They should know. And I don't say this pridefully, but shockingly, the so-called learned, the PhDs, the masters, the, you know, the bachelors, they don't know their Bibles. They can pinpoint to a verse, they can pinpoint to two verses, they can pinpoint to three verses, but even still, they don't know the Bible. I mean, th there are some that do. And, uh, it's kind of interesting. The ones that, in my experience, 
of the ones that do know, of the ones that have their, you know, uh, 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 bachelor's, master's, doctorate, of those that do have knowledge of the Bible, they also have extreme knowledge of the Hebrew, of the Greek, and of the Aramaic. They also have extreme knowledge of the, and I love that. Because they have knowledge of, you know, the source, that like the original source of, you know, the, the original text. I shouldn't say the source, but the, the text. Which if you remember our study through Romans 11, you know, there is that concept of, you know, to, as, for, as close as you get to the original source, that's where there's safety. But the ones that do not have a firm understanding of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, they tend to get off into crazy town. PhDs. Master's doctrine. I could tell you more about this, but you know, I, I, I don't. I'm going to get off this stool. I could tell you more. Maybe in future studies, I'll tell you more. I'll mention more. But I want to get off this stool. I only get on the stool, you know, you know, if if I, I, I sometimes I say things from a testimonial aspect. And I fully understand, you know, in our glorified bodies, I want to be the only one without a crown. The only one without a crown. You might say, wow, that's heresy. What are you talking about? You know why? Because the fellowship, people of the way, I want you to be my crown. That's what I want. That's my desire. So sometimes I, sometimes I might say things from a testimonial aspect. And I don't want you to think like, wow, you know, look, he's, he's boasting. He's boasting. Let my boast be in Jesus Christ. I fully understand that, you know what? I might lose certain aspects of my treasures in heaven because I say certain things. And I don't say them to, to be like, wow, you know, look at me, look at me, because I'm the first one to get off this pedestal. I'm not even on a pedestal. If I am on a pedestal, it's Jesus Christ, and I boast of him. But I want to be the only one in heaven without a crown. You might say, wow, that's heresy, that's heresy. Well, you're my crown. I want you to be my crown. I want you to be my treasure in heaven. That's what I desire. And you know what? I have no idea who you are. <laughs> I might know a couple, several. I have no idea who you are. But because you're listening, by faith, I know that, you know, because the word teaches us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we teach, we study the word of God. And you listen. And then, you know, you're done listening and then you read. And then you come back and you listen for our Wednesday study. And then, you know, you go out and you read. And then you come back for our study, Sunday study, and then you listen, and then you read, and you pray, and your relationship in Christ, and then boom, your journey with Christ, you're walking the narrow path. And in our glorified bodies, look for the guy with no crown, <laughs> you know, and then I'll embrace you because you're my crown. You're my treasure. That's my desire. So when it's when I seem like when I I know it seems boastful to say oh yeah I talk with PhDs I talk with masters it's like man who is this guy who does he think he is number one I'm trash I don't think very highly of myself but I think highly of Jesus Christ if you read the Gospels listen to our study through the book of Matthew and you read the Gospels you see Jesus Christ he approaches people differently. To a soldier, 
different than he does to a woman caught in adultery, different than he does a blind guy, but entirely different to the so-called learned, to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. He approaches them way differently. I mean, brood of vipers, woe to you, Matthew 23. Who does he say that to? Look at all the woes in Matthew 23. I understand he's speaking to the religious establishment. Those who should know. Those who are tasked with knowing of the lineage of the Levitical priesthood and even the Kohanim. I mean, you, you listen to our study on Wednesdays and we're talking about the Levitical priesthood, the Kohanim, and how beautiful it is back in, in not just not Leviticus, but Numbers. How beautiful it is in Numbers. The very inception of these godly things in accordance with the law. Not advocating the law, but still in accordance with the law. But then you look at the Kohanim, you look at the, Le the Levitical priesthood in the Gospels. What happened? You see? And the Lord speaks to them highly different. Woe to you. That's what he says to these so-called the knowledgeable. But then how he speaks to the woman caught in adultery. How he speaks to the blind guy. How he embraces children. How he takes in children. How he speaks to them. You see, it's different. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm... You know, it's different. You know, you as you have to be, I shouldn't say you have to be. I mean, I want to, you should be, but I even have a hard time saying you should be because it's the work of the Lord in your life. But strive to be, you know, like in one sense, you fight. You fight mightily for Jesus Christ. But then at the same time, understand that you, you, you turn around and you're the most gentle and also nurturing to the lambs to the sheep you know and you know you're, you're teaching the lambs teaching the sheep pouring into them exhorting one another friendliness you know not having disputes over doubtful things that's among sheep and lamb but then you turn around you know and the wolves that are out there you kill the wolf there's an element of violence i say violence but there's an element of violence to killing. And metaphysically speaking, I'm not saying, you know, let's go out and, you know, do this to the, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. I know it sounds like it when I use these words, but look at our Lord. Look at how he took in the children. But then look at how he spoke to the Pharisees. And give, he gave them opportunity. At the end, when he says, woe to you, to the Pharisees, you know, how he speaks to them at that point is different than how he spoke to the Pharisees in the early chapters of the Gospels on a, a timeline sense. Giving them plenty, plenty, plenty opportunity. And, you know, Nicodemus is one. Nicodemus is, you know, he believed. And there are Pharisees in the church. I mean, Nicodemus, you know, the, the, you, you see aspects of Nicodemus where it's like, you know, he's like, right, like you, you, in, in, in John 3, you see that cusp of like, you know, he's a Pharisee, but it's like, wow, you know, you see like this, this burgeoning thing inside of him. And I, 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 I don't want to say thing, but this burgeoning 
desire in him or desiring to know more. Like, Lord, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And then the Lord teaches him. So how, how the Lord speaks to the Pharisees in the earlier chapters? Compassionate. Stern, but still compassionate. But then how you get to Matthew 23 towards the end and it's woe to you, woe to you. They've had plenty of opportunity. But then understand that there were Pharisees in the church, Pharisees who became Christians, you know, but then they had a problem of denying their former belief system. That's why when you come to Christ, you have to deny everything. You know, I speak as a former Catholic. You know, I was born into Catholicism. And when I became a Christian, I had to deny Catholicism, not bring in Catholic belief systems to my walk with Christ. Don't pray to Mary. Pray the rosary. Dude, where is that in the Bible? And if you're a Catholic, I don't say that like, you know, shame on you type of thing. Because some people just don't know. And you know what? How can they know without a teacher? How can they know? I just figured when I was a Catholic, I just figured I'm just going to listen to what this guy says and, you know, watch what he does and see this proceeds and see the, you know, the fancy garb. See the, yeah, he know, he's got his doctorate in theology. He's got his master's in theology. He knows what he's doing. So I'm just going to listen to him. That's what I thought. And then I started to read the Bible. That alone was a process in itself. But then I started to read the Bible. And I started to realize, like, what? Where? How, how did these guys get off doing that? Where? How is this even biblical what this guy's doing? You see, if you're a Catholic and you're listening, I want you to know that I love you. But then at the same time, it's the word of God, Jesus Christ. We stay faithful to him and we honor him and we glorify him. And his word teaches something entirely different from Catholicism. Vatican I, Vatican II, the Apocrypha. He's entirely different. Stay true to the word of God and the word became flesh. Stay true to Jesus Christ. And deny Catholicism. If you're Buddhist, I love you. Deny Buddha. You see? You're like, whoa, I can't, I grew up in Buddhism. My mom is Buddhist. My, that's fine. I love your mom too. I love your dad, your grandma, your grandpa. I love them all. Tell them. When you become a Christian, you know, you, you deny Buddha and you become a believer, go to your parents and tell them about Jesus Christ. You be a fisherman in your own home, in your own family. You be a fisherman. But don't forget, you got to be a warrior too. You know, you have to fight. You have to learn how to fight. You have to learn how to grapple. You need to learn how to roll around on the mat. You need to learn how to wield the sword because the sword is sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. You talk to another believer. Wow, praise be to the Lord. You know, here, let's have I, let's have pork chops. Oh, I don't eat pork chops. Oh, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, sister. Here, let's put the pork chops away. You know, here, you, you want to eat some oatmeal? Let's eat some oatmeal. Let's have a, let's fellowship together. Not fight over, why won't you eat pork chops? You know, don't fight over that. Why won't you eat pork chops? You know, it's okay. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. Yeah, let's eat pork chops. But what you're doing to that weak brother, weak sister is you're searing their conscience. 
Because in their conscience before the Lord, they're like, well, Lord, I can't eat. I'm not going to eat this pork chop. I'm not going to eat this because, Lord, it's in service unto you. It's to honor you based on their understanding of the word of God. And you're going to come in and say, here, eat this pork chop here. It's okay. And you're going to sear their conscience before the Lord. No, don't do that. That's not loving. It's not just a matter of loving. Remember, our strength, when your strength, when my strength is not ours, you know, per se, it's of the Lord. It's by the Lord. It's for the Lord. It's in the Lord. It's for his glory. And that, that aspect of it being his, the Lord's, that's going to cause another brother to stumble. That's going to sear the conscience of a brother. No, it's not of the Lord. That is not of Christ. It is carnality in the church. Here, have this pork chop. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't, brother. I can't, sister. I can't. Okay, okay. Let me put this away. I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know. So here, let's put this pork chop away. Here, let's eat some oatmeal. You know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just giving an example. Here, let's eat this oatmeal. Let's fellowship. You know, how's the family? You know, let's pray together. How are things going? How's your health? You know, are you able to pay rent? Are you, you know, let's fellowship, you know, let's rejoice in the Lord together. And then for that person on the other side, you know, switch shoes now. You say, oh, I can't believe this person offered me a pork chop. Repent, you're going to burn in hell. No, same concept, you know. The spirit of the Lord isn't going to sear the conscience of another. The spirit of the Lord. Remember, in Christ, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Now, we're talking about food. We're talking about not disputing over doubtful things. But then what if you sit down with a brother, you have, you have a cup of coffee, and then the brother says, say he's a youth leader. And he says, oh, you know what? I'm going to take the youth group. We're going to get on a bus and we're going to take a long bus ride and we're going to go to this grave site and we're going to go to grave soaking. We're going to take these kids, you know, 13-year-old kids, 15-year-old kids, youth group, nice godly, nice godly thing to do. I'm doing air quotes. Nice godly thing. Look how righteous this is. And we're going to go lay on grave sites. We're going to go grave soaking. Well, wait a second. No, that's... You can't apply verse 1. You can't apply Romans 14, 1 to that. Let's not dispute over doubtful things. So, yeah, youth leader, go ahead, do that. Oh, yeah, let's just love. You know, God is love, so I'm going to love you. Yeah, praise the Lord, let's do that. No way. No way. You tell that youth leader, repent. That is not right. In the name of the Lord Jesus, repent. Because that is wrong. You are shepherding God's people, his lambs. You are shepherding them to do that. So-called shepherding, no, you need to repent. And you also need to go on hiatus for a little bit to get your heart right with the Lord. Get your heart right with the Lord because that's not right, brother. You see? That's not right, sister. A lot of married couples, you know, young married couples, they do youth leaders in churches. That's common in you know, I teach in, you know, the Western culture I teach in out of the United States. But what's common in the church is you have these young married couples. They're the youth leaders. You know, 21-year-old couple, you know, 25, 28, you know, they're the young couple. You know what that is? A novice. 
a novice, 21-year-old couple, freshly married. You know, 23-year-old couple, freshly married. Walking with the Lord, maybe five years. Now, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, uh, 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 despising youth, you know, let no one despise your youth. I'm not doing that. But there's dangers behind choosing a novice in ministry. You can't do that. Pastor. Oh, but, you know, we have these kids and I just need fresh bodies. I, I, don't, I don't really monitor doctrine. I don't, you know, so we just need fresh bodies to serve, to serve. You know, I'm teaching servanthood. No, no, no. Servanthood unto who? Unto who? Because if it's servanthood unto Jesus Christ, you have a wayward servant in the, in, in, in the midst. So-called servant. Oh, but he's doing, he's just doing what I told him to do. He's just doing what, you know, I could go grave soaking too. Well, then we got other issues, pastor. We got other issues, pastor, so-called man of God, so-called doctorate in theology. We got other issues. Let's talk. You need to repent. Oh, pastor. You need to go on hiatus. Oh, pastor. And get your heart right with the Lord. You need to repent. Oh, you're causing division. You're causing division. We're not supposed The Bible says, look here, Romans 14, verse 1, not to dispute over doubtful things. Okay. Tell me where this is doubtful. Tell me how this is doubtful. Tell me in the Bible where it's okay to go, go grape soaking. You see? Is it really a doubtful thing? No, it isn't because the Word of God addresses it. Understand, you know, people get away with murder because of chapter 14. The, 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 they apply, not because of chapter 14, but because they apply looseness to chapter 14. It's their own hearts that lead them astray. Not, you know, forgive me for saying it like that. I don't mean to imply that because of chapter 14. No, this is the word of God. You know, we're looking at chapter 14, but understand there are other passages that address this. You know, let's let's not have dispute over doubtful things. You want to eat oatmeal? Praise be to the Lord. You want to eat pork chops? Praise be to the Lord. You want to come together and, you know, a person has pork chops in front of this oatmeal guy? No, you know, no, don't do that because you're going to sear his conscience. You're going to sear her conscience. And then for the oatmeal guy to say, oh, you're going to burn in hell. You're going to burn in hell because you're eating a pork chop. No, don't do that either. You're going to sear his or her conscience. And then there's going to be disputes and there's going to be division in the church based on something that is a doubtful thing, a dispute over doubtful things. And we don't want division in the church. That kind of division in the church. You see? Not these aren't doctrinal things. I mean, this this concept of not, not disputing over doubtful things, that's doctrinal. But we're not disputing over grave soaking. We're not disputing over taking the mark of the beast. We're not disputing over uh, 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 pastors, who, pastors, so-called pastors who tell women in the church, women, you can save your husband's soul by performing sexually in this manner. And speaking of highly disgusting things. From the pulpit. Women, you can save your husband's souls by perform by doing this. A pastor telling a wife, do this sexually to your husband. Disgusting. Disgusting. 
a so-called shepherd? You see what I'm talking about? People say, oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. How? I speak this way for the protection of lambs, for the protection of sheep. But to the wolf? It's a different approach. To the so-called learned? I mean, there are learned who I do consider my brothers even who I do consider, I say brothers because I think of like pastoral leadership, but who are my sisters too, of the learned. From a doctrinal perspective, from a doctrinal standpoint, you know, if it aligns with the word of God, we're good to go. You and me, we have no beef. But you start telling the church, you start telling Christians to go grave soaking. You start telling Christian females, my beautiful sisters in Christ. You start telling them to perform this sexually to save the soul of their husband, we're going to have issues, oh pastor. We're going to have issues. We're going to have words too. Because that is anathema to the heart of Christ. You see? Oh, but this guy has a big church, big church, big church. That's nice. That's I don't care. Judgment comes first in the house of God. Understand that. And if 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 it comes first in the house of God, how much worse is it going to be though? To, how much worse is it going to be for those who don't obey the gospel? You say like, well, we're we're just in verse three. You know, we've we've been studying so long. We're just in verse three. Oh my goodness! Yes, because this is a big problem in the church. A big problem in the church. Because yes, Bible teachers, pastors, elders, youth leaders, they get away with murder. Because they say, oh, you know, let's not dispute over doubtful things. I'm I'm on board. Yes, let's not dispute over doubtful things. Therefore, I'm going to go grave soaking. No way. You know, you know, hold on. Hold the phone. That's not a doubtful thing, my friend. There is biblical certainty to that. Don't do that. Oh, let's not dispute over doubtful things. I'm going to speak to, you know, the females in the church about their, you know, their sexual activity, their sexual performance. Hold the phone, oh pastor. We're going to have words because that is evil. That is demonic. That is of Satan. That is not of Christ. Oh, let's not dispute over doubtful things. I'm going to teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. You don't have to worry about losing salvation. Once saved, always saved. We're not going to study about, you know, we're, we're not, I'm not going to, you know, since it's once saved, always saved, then, you know, I'm going to teach it. It's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be, you'll still be saved. Whoa. W-O-E. Hold the phone, oh pastor. We're going to have words. We're going to have issues. That is anathema to Christ. That is the work of Satan. Take the mark of the beast. What in the world are you teaching? Oh, pastor, oh, learned one. Where is that in the Bible, oh, learned one? You see? My approach to pastors, so-called pastors, you know, they're godly pastors, godly men who I love and adore. I love them as my brothers, as my uh, uh, fellow workers. But then there are others who are wolves. 
Now, if you're a lamb, if you're a sheep and you're listening and you're like, oh, you know, like, I can't believe he's saying this. I can't believe he's saying this. People have, you know, I've given messages like this and people come and talk to me. Oh, I, I can't believe you're saying this. How, you know, how, how are you saying, why, how, how, why are you doing this? How are you doing this? You know, where does the Bible say that, you know, show me where the Bible, look, grave soaking. Let's do a little study on, you know, what, how the Lord considers the dead. Necromancy. You know, let's see what the Bible says about mediums, consulting mediums. Oh, but, you know, this godly man, he goes and, you know, uh, 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 does his medium thing. This fa I forgot the name. This famous guy who does the medium thing for Hollywood celebrities. And he just says, you know, the dead person is dead. Grandma says this. Dead grandma says that. And this pastor says it's okay to do that. Okay, that's fine. This so-called pastor, he wants to call himself a pastor. That's fine. I call him a wolf, but, you know, you're saying what now? Well, how, how dare you speak up against him? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Let's look what the Bible says about this. Okay, here it is. Look, the Bible says this. Let's turn the page. Let's look here. Okay, the Bible says this. Okay, let's turn the page. The Bible says this. Okay, now you have a choice to make. Whose side are you on? You see, you have a choice to make. I'm not saying, you know, if you're with them, you're with them. And if you're with me, you're with me. I'm not, I don't want to come off that way. I'm just a messenger. I'm saying stand on Jesus Christ. Stand on the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ. Never get off of this rock, capital R. Never get off of this rock. Never. Even when the multitudes are. Even when the multitudes are saying, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Oh, yeah, let's not dispute over doubtful things. Is it really doubtful? So look what happens here in verse 4. Who are you to judge another's servant? This is Crino. Who are you to condemn to hell another's servant? So... Look what happens here. Verse three, you have in verse three, him who doesn't eat, uh, uh, despise him who him who him who eats. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. That's crino. And so in verse four, who are you to judge another servant? Who are you to crino another servant? Who are you to condemn to hell another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. You see, so to this strong person who despises, the strong person despises, the weak person is judged, is, is judging and Paul says straight up, God is able. God is able to make this person stand. God is able. God, God is the one who's doing the work in your life, in my life. It's God is the one who's doing the work. And I have to say, learning is required. Learning is required. If you're not in the Bible, if you're not reading the Bible and understanding the Bible, it's not just reading the Bible because, I mean, have you ever like read a chapter but you're not really focused and you read a chapter and you're like, okay, I'm done reading the chapter. I got my chapter in for the day. I'm good to go. But then like an hour later, you're like thinking like, man, what did I just read? What was that again? 
You know, don't read like that. Read very dutiful and purpose, purposefully unto the Lord. It's service unto the Lord. It's worship unto the Lord to read His Word. And if you have to slow it down, slow it down. And you slow it down and you read. And you're like, okay, I get it. I, I'm, I'm reading. Okay, Lord, I don't get this. But your Word says this. And you start searching the Scriptures. Remember, seek and you shall find. You know, when I was a young believer, I used to... I used to not, I mean, this is going to sound terrible and, you know, but I, I used to not like how the Bible was not in chronological order. I used to not like it because I just want, like, I just want to, like, read, you know, beginning to end and understand everything. That's when I was a young believer. But now, you know, by God's grace, he's stretched me. He's allowed me to learn and understand certain things. And I love it. I love the way. I mean, <laughs> not that, you know, not that I'm like clay saying anything to the potter. Because it rings true. Seek and you shall find. And you search the scriptures and you read and you're just like a Berean. And you read and you read. You know, when you look at the studies and you listen to our studies in Thessalonica, uh, 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 in the book of Acts, you see a contrast between Thessalonica and Berea. You look at. You know, Thessalonica was in a lot of ways crazy town. Look at all the chaos that happened in Thessalonica. Straight up crazy town. But then you look at Berea. Wow, it's like night and day. There's like no, no chaos in Berea. Very interesting. And who are the Bereans? They search the scriptures. You see? Be like that. No crazy town in Berea. You know, when you're a Berean, no crazy town in your mind because you search the scriptures. And it's not just search the scriptures, period. You search the scriptures and you also find. Just like the word of God teaches, seek and you shall find. And so look what happens here. You know, when I say learning is required, it is, it is required. I don't say like, you know. You know, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this. You know, sometimes people say, I don't, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But in regard to learning of the Word of God and studying the Word of God, you have to do this. In this, in this regard, I will, as much as the Lord allows and as much as you allow, you must learn Scripture, Holy Scripture. I'm very cautious in saying you have to do this, you have to do this, because, you know, we're not robots. And I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of pastor. I had I was hesitant to say pastor. Because the large majority of listeners, I have no idea your walks in life. There are few who recognize me as their pastor. But if you're listening and your pastor's in crazy town... Follow me as I follow Christ. You see? Learning is required. And I'm very cautious and hesitant to say, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. Because I, I don't want to come off that way. It's not that I want to come off that way. It's because it's the work of the Lord in your life, in your relationship with Him, your marriage unto Him. But if you, if you permit me 
to exercise pastoral authority in your life for the sake of your soul, you must read the Bible. You must study the Bible. You must. You must be a disciple of Jesus Christ and His Word. And the Word became flesh. You must. You have to. Because the days are evil. The days are wicked. So look what happens here in verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You know, I love this how he says in his own mind. Because there are sometimes we study the Bible and we teach the Bible. And there are lessons that are for corporate exhortation for the body of Christ. But then there's also more individualistic messages. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In your own mind. So look at what we've looked at so far. Diet and days. You know, I gave the example of pork chops and oatmeal. Forget about it. Who cares about pork chops and oatmeal? Praise be to the Lord. You're getting sustenance. If you eat pork chops, your brother doesn't can't eat pork chops because of his conscience. Not because of the word of God, but because of his conscience. As he understands the word of God. Praise be to the Lord. Put the pork chops away. You know, put them in the fridge. You know, microwave them on another day when this guy's not here. <laughs> and eat your oatmeal. Have fellowship. Beautiful fellowship. Praise be to the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful fellowship. Somebody says, oh, I go to church on Sunday. Oh, I go to church on Saturday. Oh, I go to church on Friday. You know, oh, it should be Sunday. Don't dispute over that. Praise be to the Lord. Oh, but, you know, I go to church on Sunday. I go to church on Wednesday. And, you know, every day should be considered a church day. Don't dispute over that, you know. Praise be to the Lord. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In his own mind. You know what that means? In your own mind. Diet in your own mind. Day in your own mind. Your conscience before the Lord. So, you know, there's sometimes when, you know, we study a message and we give a message and it's very corporate, like for the church body. But there's other times where it's very individualistic. And today is that it's you and me speaking. Well, mostly you listening. (laughs) Actually, only you listening. (laughs) But it still applies. Be fully convinced in your own mind. You say, oh, I I worship, you know, my best worship day is on Monday. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, brother. Praise be to the Lord, sister. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Why? Because it's unto the Lord, you and your husband, capital H. As my fellow virgin awaiting the bridegroom. It's you unto him, beloved soul. We're not talking about doctrinal things. You know, it's, you know I, I speak to your conscience, to your soul. It's you unto Jesus Christ, a virgin unto the bridegroom awaiting his return. 
your oneness with Him, your intimacy with Him. And this is you and me in this interaction right now. You know, my mouth, your ears. You're just listening right now. But then if somebody comes and starts whispering in your ear, hey, let's go grave soaking. I'm going to speak differently to such a person. If somebody comes and whispers in your ear, hey, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. I'm going to speak differently to such an individual. People say, oh, that's so mean, that's so mean. No, it's not. Because I have to tend to sheep and lamb. I have to feed the lamb, feed the sheep. That's part of what I have to do. But there's another part of what I have to do. Is to kill wolves. You see? Metaphysically speaking, I'm not saying I'm going to kill this person. But metaphysically speaking, in the spirit, I have to kill the wolf. That's why I say there's an element of violence to pastoral ministry. Spiritually speaking. Because the pastor has to kill wolves. Or become a wolf himself. You see? Read Acts 20. Listen to our study through Acts 20 and you'll understand. It's part of the ministry, pastoral ministry. You know, we look at these passages, you look at Paul's words, look at what he's saying in verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith. Wow, how beautiful. Weak in the faith. But not to disputes over doubtful things. Wow, how beautiful. How beautiful. Look at the heart of Paul. And if you just pause right here, I mean, don't pause, listen to the message, but after this message, and then listen to uh, read Paul's letters to pastors. 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. You're like, wow, is this the same guy? Yes, it's the same guy. Because he's speaking to people with different ministries, pastoral ministries, leadership ministries. Different roles. Yes, this message, this letter in Ro to the uh, Romans 14, this letter to the church in Rome, it's for the sheep, it's for the lambs. But then there's another message to pastors. So be fully convinced in your own mind. In your own mind. You want to eat pork chops? Eat pork chops. Little side note, I eat pork chops. I like pork chops. But, you know, there's some brothers, some sisters, you know, we have fellowship together. And, you know, they're, they lean heavily on the law. Oh, I can't eat this. This is forbidden. Fine. Fine. That's perfectly fine. We'll have pasta. You know, but, you know... On my way home, I'm going to pick up some steak and lobster. You know, I'm not going to eat steak and lobster with you because it's going to sear your conscience. So, in some ways, it's like, wow, okay, then, you know, I'm understanding of your position. I get your position. I don't consider myself as stronger, air quote, stronger, or you, air quote, weaker. I don't, it's not, it, we're one in Christ. And I'm not going to allow this dispute over doubtful things to break fellowship in the body. You're my brother. You're my sister. Praise be to the Lord. But then somebody starts to say, hey, let's go grave soaking. Okay. 
we're going to have words. We're going to have issues. In verse 6, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. You see, it's all to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord. To the Lord, he does not observe it. You see, it's all unto the Lord. All unto the Lord. And then at the same time, you see this. Well, wait a second. Is, you know, is Sunday special? Is Friday special? Is Wednesday special? Sometimes people say, oh, you know, every day should be like a Sunday. And I'm in that camp. Me personally, to to expose my uh, uh, thoughts on the matter. Every day should be like us. Every day in worship unto the Lord. Every day. That's my position. But if somebody says, oh no, Sunday is holier than Monday. Wednesday is holier than Thursday. That, that's fine. I You know, that's, that's fine. But every day should be holy unto the Lord. That's my position. I don't, you know, I don't want to say, you know, thus saith the Lord every day. You know, no, I don't want to come off like that. Because if, if in your conscience, look at what is happening here in verse 6. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he does not observe the day to the Lord. He does not to the Lord. He does not observe it. It's all unto the Lord. He who eats eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. You see. Now I have to say something about fasting. A comment about fasting. Fasting is not a tool of judgment. Don't use fasting as a tool of judgment which happens in the church. Oh, you know, you're going through these problems because you don't fast. It's not to be used as a tool of judgment. Now, it is a part of the arsenal of the Christian. It is, a, a, you know, we can use it in the arsenal as, as, as a believer in Christ, and it's in service to Jesus. But then at the same time, it's not to be used as, you know, how dare you, you don't do this. How dare you, you don't do that. You see, I, me personally, the last days believer, we have to get used to certain aspects of uh, uh, bygone aspects of the Christian walk. We have to get more acclimated to doing these things, such as fasting, such as praying, and such as praying in the Spirit. Because the last days are going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself. Very interesting. None of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Wow, I love verse 8 so much. No, Verse 7, none of us lives to himself. And if that's you, if, you, if you're in a situation where you are living unto yourself, pray. Seek the face of the Lord. And sometimes, you know, people live to themselves, and I, I fully understand it. I fully get it. Sometimes you're ostracized because of your walk in Christ. Because of your positions in Christ. People label you. Oh, you cause divisions. You cause disputes over doubtful things. You talk a lot of things against this grave soaker. You talk a a, a lot about against this person who's a pervert in the pulpit. You talk a lot about this person who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Look, you're causing division. I don't call that division at all. If that's you, I say praise be to the Lord. 
You're my fellow warrior. Because we stand on the rock of salvation. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. Never forget that Satan's a fisherman too. You know, and let none of us live to ourselves. Let us live unto Christ, but, you know, let people be the benefactors. That's how ministries happen. And if no one lives to himself, no one dies to himself either. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so look what happens here in verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Remember, death has no sting. Death has no sting. But I do say this, while you're living, choose Christ. Choose Jesus. If you're listening and you're not a believer, while you're living, while you have air in your lungs, while you are breathing, while you have a mind to comprehend, choose Christ. If you're a non-believer, choose Christ. Because God loves you. He loves you and He wants your sin to be atoned for by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you crino your brother? That's to say you're going to burn in hell. Here, I'm eating a pork chop. Oh, how dare you? You're going to burn in hell. No. Why do you judge your brother, he says? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Why do you despise your brother, is how that translates. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, whether strong or weak. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. You see, everybody is going to stand before the Lord one day. Everybody. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then, in verse 12. Each of us shall give account to himself, account of himself to God. Now, this is sobering too. In verse 12, each of us shall give account of himself, of self. Just like we looked at, you know, in verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You know, I speak to the individual. Yes, I love the church body. Yes, I love your families. Yes, you know, the corporate, I love, I love. But I'm speaking to you. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Understanding, like verse 12 says, each of us shall give account of himself. You're not going to give an account for, you know, your mom, your dad. You're not giving a given account to husband, to wife, to kids, to whatever. You're not, you're going to give an account for you. It's unto the Lord. Now, there are aspects of verse 12. It's like, whoa, that's scary. And I understand it's scary. I'm in full agreement. There are aspects where, whoa, this is very sobering. And I'm in full agreement. It is very sobering. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be. You say, well, wait a second, but it is scary. I know it's scary, but it doesn't have to be scary. Because there's comfort in death. 
comfort in death. And I'm not talking about, you think about, whoa, you know, comfort in death? Whoa, what is he talking about? When I say there's comfort in death, there's comfort in being crucified with Christ. And you have a clear conscience. Yes, the world will hate you. Not the world might hate you. The world will hate you. But you have a clear conscience before the Lord. Wow, Lord, everybody hates me because, you know, I, I say don't go grave soaking. And everybody hates me. Oh, everybody hates me because I say don't take the mark of the beast. And you're in good company. They hated Jeremiah too. Look at the, what they did to Jesus. Look what they did to Paul. Look at what they did to so great a cloud of witnesses. You say, what do you mean so great a cloud of witnesses? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer here says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Whoa, how beautiful. That's in the manner of which we are to run, which you are to run with endurance. The race set before us. And not just run with endurance, but lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. You see? Look at what happened here in, in the previous chapter in Hebrews 11. Verse, you know, Hebrews 11 is referred to as the halls of faith. All these people who have an abundance of faith. But in a, a chapter 11, verse 35, the book of Hebrews, women received their, received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see? The world was not worthy. I've been told by elders before, so-called elders. Oh, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's the dumbest statement an elder can say to anybody. That's the dumbest statement a pastor can say to anybody. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Let me tell you something. You be heavenly minded. Because when you're a Christian, you are no earthly good. Because this world is not your home. Look at these beautiful people, men, women, young, old, in Hebrews 11, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. You see? Godliness. Righteousness. You unto the Lord. You a virgin unto her bridegroom. You see, capital B, bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Romans 14. Romans 14. When you read verse 12, so then each of us shall give account to himself. Yes, there's these scary aspects of it, but it doesn't have to be. 
Because when you live in submission to Jesus Christ and you apply his word in your life, all of a sudden you have a clear conscience, a clear conscience before the Lord. And you read these passages, okay, so each of us shall give account of himself to God. And you read that and you're like, okay, I have a clear conscience. Praise be to the Lord. But then sometimes you read this, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Whoa, that scares me. Yeah, it's good to be, you know, the fear of the Lord is good. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's beautiful. But once your will is in alignment with the will of the Father, that's beauty. That's beauty. You have a clear conscience before the Lord. In verse 13, therefore, let none of us judge one another anymore. Let, 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 uh, let us not crino, let us not condemn to hell is what he's saying. One another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Remember, verse 1 is doubtful things. You know, verse 1, uh, let's not dispute over doubtful things. And Paul is bringing unity in the church, but it's unity based on sound doctrine. Let's, let's put this to rest. Let's resolve this matter. You guys are eating pork chops and you're, you have beef. You're, you're despising those who don't eat pork chops and you who don't eat pork chops. You're condemning these ones who do. No, let's put this to end. Let's resolve this. Let's not put a stumbling block or a cause or a trap is how that translates in our brother's way. Because you're walking on the narrow path and then all of a sudden another brother says you're going to burn in hell. What? That's a, that's a stumbling block. What? I'm, gonna, I'm walking the narrow path and you're telling me I'm going to burn in hell? What? Or you're walking the narrow path and then all of a sudden someone despises you. That's, that's a cause to stumble. That's a trap. And Paul is saying, a brother should not do that to a brother. A sister should not do that to a sister. A brother should not do that to a sister. And a sister should not do that to a brother. You know, we're not, we're talking about doctrine, but the doctrine is in accordance to verse one, doubtful things. Let's not dispute over doubtful things. So far, Paul has mentioned food and days. Oh, Sunday's better than Monday. Paul has mentioned days and food so far. Very interesting that when Paul talks about, you know, let's not dispute over doubtful things. So far in chapter 14, he's only talked about food and days. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Which, by the way, same writer, Brother Paul, same Spirit, Holy Spirit, same Lord, Jesus Christ. See? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see something here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this in verse 9 to the church in Corinth. Another church. There's the church in Rome. Here's the church in Corinth. And he writes this. I wrote to you in verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Not to associate with sexually immoral people. Very interesting. Okay, so 
Let's not keep company with sexually immoral. But then he says this in verse 10. Yet I certainly did not mean with the, with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Like you go to work, you, you have co-workers who are sexually immoral, covetous, extortioners, idolaters. You go to school and you have fellow classmates who are sexually immoral, covetous, extortioners, idolaters. You go anywhere in the world. Anywhere. And what do you see? You see the sexually immoral, covetous, extortioners, idolaters. And Paul is saying, I didn't mean to exclude those people. I didn't mean to not hang out with these these people. Because remember, we're fishermen and fisherwomen. Some of these people, when you hear of sexually immoral, covetous, extortioners, and idolaters, some of you were in this camp the same way I was in this camp. You see, we were fish. At one point in our lives, we were fish. And then we were caught of the Lord, by the Lord, by one of his vessels. Maybe by the Lord himself. And then we go from fish to lamb, from lamb to sheep, from sheep to to maybe shepherd from sheep to you know whatever ministry the lord has for you paul is saying i didn't i wrote to you not to associate not to keep company with the sexually immoral people but i didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world and in addition to sexually immoral he adds the covetous the extortioners the idolaters he says this is why because if that were the case You'd have to like, you know, get in an island, move to an island. You'd, you'd have to like, you know, you'd have to be out of this world. You would have to move, change your location from point A to point B. And point B is not in this world. But he clear, provides clarification. He says, I didn't mean that. He said, verse, verse 10, I certainly did not mean. So he didn't mean with the world. But he says in verse 11, but now... I have written you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. It's inside the church. A brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. This word for extortioner is to be greedy, greedy for money and greedy and money hungry. Sexually immoral is por pornos in the Greek. Very interesting. The rise of pornography in the church in the last days. Not even to eat with such a person, he says. Wow, that's hardcore. That's hardcore. Not even to eat with such a person. In verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Outside the church, non-believers. You have a co-worker who's covetous. Hey, you know, let's go get a burger together. Okay, you know, yeah, I'm going to go get a burger. Let's go get a burger. And then he has all this kind of crazy talking. You know, this, this conversation goes into this, that. You say, oh, what did you do this weekend? You say, I went to church. I listened to this church message. You know, here, here's the podcast. Do you have your phone? Here, look. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll send it to you. Listen to this. This is where I go to church. This is the fellowship. 
oh, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Oh, man, you know. Somebody tells you, oh, yeah, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I got drunk. I did this. and you, Oh, I used to do that too. But I'm a Christian now. And I don't do that because this is what God has done in my life. You're a fisherman. You're a fisherwoman. That's what Paul is saying to the church. I didn't mean go out of the... I'm not talking about the world. He says, I'm talking about the church. Anyone named a brother? This is inside the church. He says in verse 12, What have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Now, this is Crino in verse 12. Crino. Not Anacrino. Not Diacrino. It is straight up Crino. Do you not judge those who are inside? This is one of the rare occurrences in the New Testament where the word crino is applied. It does mean to judge and condemn, but it also means as a judicial decision. You have to make a choice. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. You see? Very interesting. So we're in Romans 14, and he says, you know, don't judge. But then in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, judge. What is it? You hear me say, people get away with murder. Pastors get away with murder because they say, hey, don't judge, don't judge. I'm going to go grave soaking. Don't judge me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and teach the sisters that they can perform sexually like this. Don't judge me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Don't judge me. Look, it's biblical. Don't cause disputes. Don't cause division. And the... Metaphysically speaking, the Thessalonican will say, okay, look, this guy's right. But the Berean will say, whoa, W-O-E, the Berean will say, whoa. That's not right, pastor. That's not right, elder. That's not right, youth leader. That's not right, Bible teacher. That's not right, worship leader. That's not right, bishop. That's not right, deacon. It's not in the Bible. I'm not going to dispute if you want to eat pork chops or if you don't want to eat pork chops. We have no beef. Pun intended. Pun not intended, but I say that a lot. We have no beef. You want to worship on Friday, you want to worship on Tuesday, you want to worship on Sunday, you say that every day should be a... We have no beef. You want to go grave soaking? We have beef. You want to speak perversions to women? We have beef. You want to advocate the mark of the beast and say it's okay to, to, to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved? We have beef. You see? Romans 14, don't judge. 1 Corinthians uh, 5, judge. What is it? Same writer, Brother Paul. Beautiful, beautiful Brother Paul. Same writer. Same spirit. Same Lord. What is it? It's both. It's both. 
You know somebody that, you know, says Monday is better than Sunday? Praise be to the Lord. Don't judge. You know somebody in the church who is going to strip clubs? Same thing. Not same thing, Romans 14. Same things, 1 Corinthians 5. It's both. You know somebody who says Monday is better than Sunday? Romans 14. Don't judge. Praise be to the Lord. It's in service to the Lord. Same Lord. This person is a, a, a servant just like you are. In the Master's house. Capital M. The Master's house. But then you know somebody named a brother who is an idolater, a drunkard, an extortioner, a reviler, which is abusive. 1 Corinthians 5. Judge. Crino. Make an assessment, make a determination, and choose. What's the choice? Not even to eat with such a person. Oh, you're causing division. You're causing division. So did Jesus. So does Jesus. Why? Prophetically speaking, the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. The Prince of Peace is the one who says, don't think that I came to bring peace on this earth. I came to divide. Those are his words, not mine. I'm just a messenger. I came to divide. That's what he says. Oh, you caused division. You caused division. I'm just a messenger. How? 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 Show me how. Oh, you say that this person shouldn't be doing the sexual stuff and you say that it's not good and you say that... The Okay, 1 Corinthians 5. Are we not to do that? Are you telling me that we should not do that? Oh, but you cause division, you cause division. How? You say you talk against this guy who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Okay, I know I do. But... Show me in the Bible where it says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Show me where. You won't find it. Well, how come you don't say that of this person who eats pork chops? Because we're in the body of Christ. Romans 14. So which is it? Romans 14? Or is it 1 Corinthians 5? Which is it? What do you do? You obey the word of the Lord. That's what you do. It's going to be both. In your walk with Christ, it's going to be both. It's going to be a Romans 14 approach, and it's going to be a 1 Corinthians 5 approach. It's It will be both. I'm talking about in the church. Let's forget the world for, for a moment. Um, the world is the world, and we know what's in the world, and it's nasty. It's disgusting. It's gross. But that's where the fish are. I know people, I don't want anything to do with the world. That's fine. That's fine. I get it. We're not of the world. We're just passing through. But as we're passing through, don't forget, we have fishing poles. We have nets. And that was you too. I don't know your history, that your past. But before you came to Christ, that was you. That filth, that muck that you look at. Yes, it's nasty. Yes, it's grotesque. Yes, it's disgusting. Entirely disgusting. But that's where the fish are. A fish who are 
who God loves, who God is long-suffering for, who God is not willing that any of them should perish. And you don't want to you don't want to go fishing? It's the will of the Father. You know, I'm speaking I want to say generally, but I don't want to say generally because it's a big deal. Souls. And not to say that, you know, you know, if the will of the Father is for you to be an evangelist. I don't want to come off that way. But there is an evangelistic aspect of all ministries is to win souls. And the fish are caught in all kinds of filthy, disgusting things in this world. You see, it's both. Remember, crino, crino, which is to condemn to hell. Crino, that's hardcore. I know it's hardcore, but there's no other way to live. <laughs> no other way to live. It's both. And in, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, there's this aspect of crino, which is this judicial decision for oneself. Romans 14, don't crino. 1 Corinthians 5, crino. It's both. This person's, you know, eats pork chops. Don't crino. Don't judge. Don't condemn to hell. Don't make this judicial decision that's going to hurt the brother, hurt the sister. A brother calls you and says, hey, I'm going to go to the strip club. You want to join me? Crino. You have a choice to make. And because you have pastors, so-called pastors, who do not teach the duality of these concepts, the duality of Crino, the dichotomy of Crino, a lot of Christians get themselves into trouble. Oh, this guy wants to go to the strip club. I'm just going to love him. Oh, this girl wants to get drunk. She wants me to go with her. I'm just going to love on her. Because it is written that, that I shouldn't cause disputes over doubtful things. Is it a doubtful thing? Same writer, Paul. Same spirit, the Holy Spirit. Same Lord, Jesus Christ. Is it a doubtful thing? We have to be wise in these last days. We must be Bereans. You must be a Berean. It's both. Crino. Don't Crino and Crino. We have to make these judicial decisions. You see? Let's go back to Romans 14. Romans 14, verse uh, 14. Romans 14, 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Very interesting. Former Pharisee of Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's saying that there is nothing unclean of itself. Look at all the uncleanness in our Wednesday studies that we studied in Exodus, Leviticus, and now in Numbers. Look at all these things that are unclean. And this Pharisee of Pharisees, is saying, I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Whoa. What does he mean here? 
he says here, of itself. Of itself. I know Christians, I know pastors who teach, don't have a TV in your house. You must not have a TV in your house. Well, why do you teach that, brother? Why is that your stance, sister? Well, because the TV, my kids watch, you know, 15 hours a day. They're not going to school, you know, and I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want to teach my kids. I don't want to take the academic role in teaching my kids. So I just put them in front of the TV and they just watch TV for, you know, 15 hours. And they watch TV for 15 hours and look, they're just, they talk a bunch of filth that they see from TV. So therefore, you should remove the TV from your house. Really? That's your roof. That's the TV in your house. That's the TV in your house which you have allowed to become an idol. You see? By your own choice. By your own doing. Self-inflicted. Remember how I say that all the time? In the Old Testament, self-inflicted. Sometimes in the New Testament, more, more so in the Old Testament. Self-inflicted. That's what the TV is in your house. But then I know Christians too that have a TV. You know, an hour a day, two hours a day. And, you know, no big deal. Now it's very, I'm not, I'm not advocating, I'm not advocate of Hollywood. I think Hollywood is the most, most one of the most grotesque institutions ever. You know, I'm not advocating, you know, movies, TV shows. Like me personally, I like Jeopardy. I watch a lot of Jeopardy. You know, uh, news. I watch a lot of news. Um, certain channels that are global. I watch like world news. You know, news that comes out of Israel and the Middle East. Uh, European news. You know, so like I have a TV in my house. And I watch a lot of news. I watch Jeopardy. Local news. You know, I'm kind of a nerd. Now that I think about it, I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> but it's not an idol in my house. You know, if somebody says, oh, you know, you got to get rid of all your TVs, get rid of all your TVs. Well, what has the TV become in your house? What have you allowed the TV to become in your house? People say that of, you know, movies. People say that of whatever, whatever idol it is. Don't let it have power over you. Don't let it become an idol. You know, if you have a TV in your house, don't let it be an idol over you. I mean, if you're sitting on the couch for, you know, 20 hours a day, you know, don't forget you have time in the Word of God, time in the Bible. You know, you watch a, you know, two-hour movie and then another two-hour movie, then another two-hour movie. What's your time in the Bible, in the Word of God? These are things that the church is going to have to make personal decisions for himself or herself. Christians are going to have to make decisions for themselves. Time with the Word Time, intimacy with the Lord, seeking His face in these last days. Paul is saying, Pharisee of Pharisees. We look at all the uncleanness that we've studied thus far, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and, 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 and Numbers, and even more so in Deuteronomy, once the Lord has us in Deuteronomy. We're going to see all kinds of uncleanness mentioned. And this Pharisee of Pharisees is saying, I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So a person who says, hey, you know, get rid of the TVs in your home. It's like, hold on. Is the TV an idol in your home? 
Yes, it is. Okay. Then to you, if it's unclean, get rid of it. But to this other person who watches, you know, Jeopardy, fine. No big deal. It's fine, perfectly fine. You see? It's un now I'm talking. I, I'm talking about TV, but you know what we see here in the word so far: food and days. So far, and so look what happens here in verse fifteen. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. You see, me personally, there are certain people that I won't eat with because I mean they have a because of their diet. Their diet aligns with the old. They have an Old Testament diet. And there's some people that I won't eat with. And if I do eat with, it's very restrictive. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to eat. Let's have some toast, you know. Let's have toast and fellowship together, you know. And there, there are people like that. Not so much now because of social distancing, you know, gov- you know heavy-handed government. Not so much anymore these days. But before this happened, and even post-COVID, it's going to be the same way. Why? Because I don't want to sear another person's conscience, yeah, I, 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 either I won't eat with them, you know, we'll just have coffee, we'll have tea, you know, we'll have a drink, you know, a drink of coffee or tea, you know, but we'll have, you know, drink a, a soda even or, you know, a, a juice, you know, and we'll just share in this fellowship together or we'll eat something, you know, that that is not going to sear this person's conscience. That's fine and dandy. But then I have other brothers or sisters in Christ where it's like, okay, it's, you know, lobster time. Let's have some lobster here. You dip it in this garlic butter, you know, dip it here and you eat it. Wow, it's delicious. You know, shrimp scampi. Wow, delicious. You know, and I wouldn't do that with this other brother, this other sister who it would sear their conscience. Oh, you're double minded. You're double minded. No, it's not double minded. It's the dichotomy. It's the duality of ministry. There's duality there. Look at Paul, you know. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 5. One he says, don't crino. The next he says, crino. Is he double-minded? <laughs> he has the mind of Christ. You see? In verse 15, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. You see? Now, there are certain things in the church which are referred to as non-essentials. You know, they say, oh, the church government is not essential. They, you know, like church government, like, you know, the, whether it be elders, whether it be uh, uh, congregational, or whether you have a Moses model. Um, me, personally, I don't like con- congregational leadership where it's like, you know, uh, the congregation votes. It's more like a democracy, a church that has a democracy. I don't, I don't like that model. I, I, don't, I, I see that more as man-made. Where a church votes. So I don't call that non-essential. Plus, people look at the Moses model. Well, we've studied the Moses model. You even heard me talk about the so-called Moses model. And what is the Lord provided to Moses? Elders. The Levites. The Kohanim. Aaron, his sons. Moses isn't alone. Look at how the Lord has provided. People call it the Moses model, but they need to read their Bible. There's Moses has, look at all these people in ministry, in service unto the Lord. You know, Kodesh Kodesh and Kadosh Kadosh. And Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Remember our studies in the Old Testament? 
through Leviticus and Numbers. So people call these things non-essentials. I don't call them non. Some things I they some things are non-essentials, which like days, uh, foods, um, certain things are non-essentials. But people call like gifts of the Holy Spirit non-essentials. I don't call them non-essentials. I call them essentials. They call them non-essentials because that's why people get away with, oh, they, they dismiss the work of the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years ago. Oh, that was, that was for 2,000 years ago. Because the Holy Spirit isn't doing things like he did in the book of Acts, then that was just for that dispensation. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. But look at the church today. How do you expect the Holy Spirit to work like he did in the book of Acts when the church today is far from the church in the book of Acts. You see, we're distracted. The church is distracted. Then we, then we can, let's have this conversation again about TVs and movies and, you know, whatever. Let's have this conversation again. Because maybe the TV isn't idle. Maybe Jeopardy isn't idle. You see? That's why you hear me make this distinction of the last day's church. Because we have to be wise. People call end times. That's not essential. The timing of the rapture, that's not essential. And I get that. I get that rapture timing is, people say it's not essential. But me, me personally, I think it's essential. Because it might be considered non-essential today. But if things don't pan out in accordance to how people believe, in accordance to, you know, a pre-tribulation doctrine, then it will most definitely be essential. Why? Because don't forget, there's a prophesied great falling away. A great falling away. It's prophesied. It will come to pass. It will happen. Oh, but, you know, rapture timing, it's not essential. Okay. Today, it's not essential. But when the 70th week begins, it's going to be entirely essential. I think there's a lot of danger behind what's being taught from the pulpits today. Because it, there's no preparation for the future. And when I say preparation, I'm speaking from a doctrinal perspective. Oh, it's not essential. It's not essential. So let's not worry about it. It's not essential. So let's not worry about it. And we get further in the last days and things are going to become more essential. Doctrine is going to become more essential, sound doctrine, real doctrine. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, which was considered non-essential, will become more essential. Rapture timing, which was once considered non-essential, will become essential. Church government, which was once considered non-essential, will become essential. So I think there's a lot of problems with, from the pulpit, people, pastors, elders, Teaching that this is non-essential, this is non-essential, this is non-essential, this is non-essential, because there will come a time when it will become very essential. So far, what Brother Paul has spoken about, days and foods. So far. That's what Paul has spoken of. Days and foods. Don't forget verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. This doubtful things, how it translates in the Greek is debatable estimation. You see, 
debatable estimation. So like, you know, somebody says, oh, I don't, I don't eat pork chops. I don't eat pork chops. Okay. You know, I get it. Yeah, it's debatable. And I get that in your estimation. I fully, I fully get it. I, I, I understand the reason why. Are you not my brother? Are you not my sister? No, surely you're my brother in Christ. I love you. Somebody said, well, what's your position? Well, I eat pork chops. I like pork chops. Oh, you're going to burn in hell. No, 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 no. What? Look, look. Look what the Bible says. You don't condemn me. I don't condemn you. We're one in Christ. I love you. You love me. We're family in Christ. Koinonia. But then somebody comes, you know, we're having a meal, eating, you know, we're having bowls of oatmeal. And we're eating, you know, I have to put some sugar on it, sweeten it, because it's, you know, it's kind of bland. So I'm going to add some, maybe some brown sugar in it. You know, maybe a little, sometimes I put syrup in my oatmeal, you know, just a little bit. You know, all this stuff. Peanut butter, right? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't put, you know, jazz it up a little bit. And we eat, we're having this meal. You and me, we're eating oatmeal, a cup of coffee and some oatmeal, and we're eating. And then all of a sudden, a brother comes in. Hey, guys, how you doing? Wow, praise the Lord. How was your weekend? Oh, yeah, I went grave soaking this weekend. Whoa, hold the phone there, brother. Grave soaking? What? It's not like I hate you. Like right now at this point, I hate you. You know, no, you're going to burn in hell. No, 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 no. Tell me about this grave soaking. Who influenced you into this? Oh, yeah, you know, my friend invited me to this church and we, they, we went on this trip and we could grave soaking. Okay. Well, let's talk about this. We slide our bowls of oatmeal to the side. You know, this is what the Bible says. Open up our Bibles. Look, look what the Bible says this. And then all of a sudden that brother realizes, oh my goodness, I was wrong. I shouldn't have gone grave soaking. Wow, that is evil before the Lord. Wow, brother, sister, thank you for telling me. Wow, this is so awesome. You know what you've done? You've not, I mean, you haven't won this. I mean, the person was a believer. Maybe the person was a novice. Or maybe the person just didn't know and thought, wow, you know, this guy, you know, he's, he looked, you know, he has, I've, I saw his church office. He has this doctorate in theology. So I just figured he knew what he was doing. Only to discover this guy's in crazy town. And so you've helped a brother. You've helped a sister in that case. And then that person can go back and say, hey, guys, this is wrong. Whoever invited him. You know, hey, guys, this is wrong. Look, the Bible says this. And you know what you do? You're, you're helping the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. People say, oh, don't cause division. Don't cause division. Look, you know, the Bible says, let's not dispute over doubtful things. Is it doubtful? When the word of God addresses it, is it really doubtful? Oh, I'm going to teach grave soaking. It's not essential. Is it not essential? You call it non-essential. Why? Because you need an excuse to teach your heresies. You see? It's essential. It's not a doubtful thing. Don't go grave soaking. Oh, but they're a famous church. The pastor's famous. He has all these... New York Times bestseller. They have their worship team. They're all over the world. It's kind of like the early stages of Hillsong. That's nice. I don't care. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? You know, Thessalonica was boomtown. A lot of fun in Thessalonica. But it wasn't Berea, that's for sure. That's what I'm talking about. Doubtful things is debatable and debatable estimations. 
And in a lot of times people say, oh, that's debatable when it's really not debatable. Oh, I'm going to go grave soaking. Don't go grave soaking. Why not? The Bible says it's not good. Oh, that's debatable. Really? Is it really debatable? It's not debatable. Oh, yeah. I went to a strip club last night. And, you know, uh, let's go to church. You know, let's get ready for church. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not good, brother. Oh, that's debatable. <laughs> it, it, debatable? What? That's not debatable. Look, the Bible says, let's not dispute over doubtful things. Is it doubtful? Paul says, don't judge, don't judge. Don't, Crino. You're right. He does say that. But the same Paul also says, judge, Crino. To anyone named a brother. You want to go to the strip club? You need to repent. And don't go to the strip club. Repent. Repent and go to church. Listen to this message. Repent, 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 repent. Old Testament, New Testament, repent, 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 repent. Because God loves you. He wants you clean. He wants you washed of the blood of the Lamb. I believe in Jesus Christ. I have been washed. I am washed. Okay. But you can get dirty again. Oh, once saved, always saved. Don't forget, it's entirely possible to be a short-term believer. What do you mean? Well, I'll read it again. I say it a lot, but if you turn to Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> Luke 8, 13. But, those, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe. Wow, praise be the Lord. They believe. Wow, awesome. For a while. And in times of temptation, fall away. A short-term believer. Wow, I believe, I believe. But then I'm going to go to the strip club too. Time of temptation, fall away. Don't be a short-term believer. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Really? What do the red letters here say? In Luke 8, 13. Oh, but this pastor tells me once saved, always saved. I can take the mark of the beast even and I'll still be saved. That's nice. I don't care what he says. What does the word of God say? You see? Let's go back to Romans 14. In Romans 14, in verse 17. For the kingdom of... Oh, wait. Uh, in verse... 15, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. You see, because you're looking out for the other brother. You're looking out for the other sister. You're looking out for the body of Christ, people for whom Christ died. You think it's, it's going to sear your conscience if I eat a pork chop? Fine. I won't eat a pork chop. We're going to talk about this more when we get into 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I won't eat meat. If that's your position, if it's going to sear your conscience and it's not going to help you, I'm not going to eat meat anymore. That's what Paul says. Why? Because he's not concerned about his diet, his belly, his stomach, his taste buds. He can, he's concerned about the souls of the church, the souls of the believer. If that's your position, Christian, if that's your position, church, I'm, I won't eat meat anymore. You see? Because Paul is looking out for the other believer. Let not your good be spoken of as evil. 
What if, you know, I'm sitting at a table and because knowledge puffs up, oh, you know, you're just a weak Christian. You want to eat this oatmeal here. I'm going to force you to eat this pork chop. And the person, you know, a, a young lamb starts slicing the pork chop and starts eating it. And with every, with every bite, he's crying. Tears streaming down his cheeks. Tears streaming down her cheeks. Crying with every bite. Why? Because every bite is searing her conscience, searing his conscience. Is that love? No, it is not love. Every bite, tears streaming down. And she thinks she's in sin. He thinks he's in sin. And tears are streaming down her face. I'm in sin. Eating, eating this pork chop. It's... Lord, you know, it's just breaking her heart. Is that love? Yeah, you who have knowledge, you think you're you you think you're strong, but that's carnality, because it's not you know your strength. It's the strength of the Lord, and because it's the strength of the Lord, would the Lord do that to one of His lambs, one of His sheep? No way. He would put the finger back on you and say, "Hey, you don't eat the pork chop." You know what you do? Don't eat the pork chop. See, you have a choice to make. Yeah, you could think you know, you could think you're knowledgeable, you can think you're all high and mighty, and you know, you can do that. But if you cause another brother to stumble, don't forget that you're going to give an account to the Lord. And if that other brother or sister stumbles and is becomes lost because of your pride, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, pastor, oh, elder, you see, oh, youth leader, you see what I'm talking about? Oh, learned one, so-called learned one. Let not your good be your good, you know, let not your good, what you deem as good, let not that be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. You see, that's. Doubtful things. In verse 1, I have to highlight this a lot. No disputes over doubtful things. Paul says in verse 17, The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you know what? For the believer, this work starts now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes righteousness, comes peace, and comes joy. And how beautiful it is when the Holy Spirit builds in the temple. You, Jesus Christ, being the chief cornerstone in your heart. And brick by brick by brick, the Holy Spirit building more. Righteousness, peace, and joy, and even more. In verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things, what things? Righteousness, peace, and joy. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Translates as, is pleasing to God and acceptable by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, which, how it translates, let us, therefore, let us pursue the things which Join us or cleave us unto peace and the things by which one may edify one another. Understand that this is with doubtful things. With doubtful things, choose grace. 
Another brother says, I can't eat pork chops. Choose grace. Another sister says, oh, Monday's better than Sunday. Choose grace. You see? Another brother says, oh, you know what? Every day is, should be like a Sunday. Choose grace. Another sister says, you know, uh, 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 Saturday is better. Or, you know what, I, I, I don't eat pork chops. I don't eat uh, uh, lobster. Lobster bisque, I won't eat that. Choose grace. Choose grace. Now, when it is not doubtful, when it is not doubtful, you must stand. You must stand. Another brother says, oh, I'm going to go to the strip club tonight. You want to join me? One person might say, choose grace. Just love on that brother. What do I say? Make your stand. Not just win that brother, but retain that brother. Tell that brother, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That is a sin before the Lord. And you know what? If he says, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to go. Let's have our Bible study. You know, social distancing here. You listen to this message and we'll listen to this message. And then we can, you know, talk about it afterwards. Praise be to the Lord. You've helped this brother deny the works of the flesh. Because you've applied the word of God, 1 Corinthians 5, Crino, in your life. And you've helped him. But if the brother says, oh, no, don't judge me. You tell me, I'm going to go to strip club tonight. You tell me not to go. I'm going to go anyways. Don't judge me lest you be judged. That's not on you. You were faithful unto the Lord. He was unfaithful unto the Lord. That's on him. That's not on you. You see? You were just a vessel. You were just a messenger. Used of the Lord. It's not a doubtful thing. Somebody says, I'm going to go strip club. It's not doubtful. Don't go. I'm going to go grave soaking. It's not doubtful. Don't do it. Oh, I'm going to get the mark of the beast. It's okay. You know, this pastor says it's okay. It's not doubtful at all. Don't do it. You see? How beautiful it is. So verse 19, let us therefore pursue things which make for peace, which cleave us, which join us unto peace, and the things which, which, by which one may edify another. A lot of times people think edification is, yeah, I'm going to build you up. And it's true, edify does, the, it does include building up, but at the same time, building up what? It has to be the temple of the Lord. Oh, I'm going to go to the strip club. Oh, I'm going to build you up. So I'm not going to tell you not to. I want to build you up. So, you know what? I'll talk to you tomorrow. Go ahead. Have your fun tonight. And, you know, tomorrow I'll talk to you. You know, and just love on you. I'm just going to love on you. No, you tell that brother, don't go. Don't go. It is wrong before Jesus Christ. I mean, if they're a Christian. If they're not a Christian, you know, that they're, they're, you could still tell them, but understand that they're in the world. Remember what Paul says? I didn't mean, you know, in the, in the world. But he's talking about named a brother. A sister's, oh, it's ladies night. Let's go get drunk tonight. It's ladies night. A lot of guys are going to be there. Let's go do this. That's nice. If they're a sister in Christ, you have, you have one approach. If they're a non-believer, you have another approach. It's not to say go with that person. They're a non-believer. It's okay to go. No. It's to say win that person for Christ. Catch that fish. You see? 
Even if she goes, she goes, you don't go. She goes, you don't go. But then the next day, you know, when she's hungover, you can tell her, talk to her. You see? Win souls. Warriors slash, slash fishermen. You know? We're in the same boat together. And, you know, our arsenal, we have all the weapons of warfare. But then at the same time, we have our fishing poles. We have our nets. There's a lot of abuse in Romans 14. A lot of abuse. Because the word of God is not taught properly. They say, you know, let's not dispute over these things. Let's not dispute. Let's not divide over these things. Which I understand. I mean, it is doctrinal not to have this division. It is it is good not to have division, but not when it comes to certain things. Food? Hey, non-essential. Days? Hey, non-essential. Strip clubs? Don't do that. Grave soaking? Don't do that. You see? The Word of God teaches. Mark of the Beast? Don't do that. So yes, it's, let's edify, but then at the same time, make these distinctions, make these determinations. That's part and parcel of maturity in Christ. In verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Remember, it's non-essential. For the sake of food. Pork chop? Deny the pork chop. Don't destroy the work of God. Get rid of the pork chop. Like Paul says, I won't eat meat anymore. If that's your position, I won't eat meat anymore. Why? Because I love you and I care for your soul. You see? In, in verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense, who eats with a stumbling block. You know, it's uh, the, 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 the church or a Christian with an Old Testament diet. You know, I'll give you an example, it, it, you know, that example of, you know, I say, you eat the pork chop, you eat the pork chop. The Bible says this, the Bible says this, and, you know, tears streaming down his face with every bite. Tears streaming down her face with every bite, and I'm searing that person's conscience. That's not good. Then I'm the one who's disobedient. I'm the one who's in the wrong. You see? No, don't do that. Don't do that at all. In verse 12, 21, in closing, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Now, in the church, there are people who drink alcohol. They have, you know, a glass of wine. They have their beer. Me personally, if you are adamant about alcohol, as am I. Don't forget our study in number six, the vow of the Nazarite. It's personal. It's very personal. I know people drink wine with their meals. People have their occasional beer, and that's fine for them. For me, no way. I won't touch it. I don't want to be stupid before the Lord. I want to be a clean vessel. I want to have all my mental faculties in place so that I can pray to the Lord and I can receive from the Lord. I want to hear his voice clearly, soundly and clearly. Now, if somebody wants to be, you know, intoxicated, if somebody, you know, that's that's on them. But me personally, for my own vessel, for my own soul, I don't want to be stupid before the Lord. 
I, I, I don't I don't want to have that state of stupor, un, not understand. And I, I speak from experience because alcohol used to be an idol for me. I know what happens in my mental faculties when I drink alcohol. By experience, I know what happened. 25 years ago, I was an alcoholic. I know what happens. And I want 100% of my mental faculties to be in place in service unto the Lord. Fully aware of what's happening. I don't want to be any form of inebriation. None whatsoever. That's for my soul. That's the choice that I make for my own soul. Now, if somebody wants to be inebriated and think that they can hear from the Lord and obey the Lord and be of sound mind, you know, they make their own choices. But as for me and my soul, I won't touch alcohol. That's for me. Don't forget number six. When the world is drinking, when even in the church, when they're drinking their wine, their beer, their alcohol, their all their things... Don't forget number six and the vow of the Nazarite. You see? Now, it is possible for somebody to drink wine, and then all of a sudden they drink more wine, and then all of a sudden they drink more wine, and then they're just straight up drunk. That's stupidity. That's foolishness. That's not right in the body of Christ. Or they drink wine, and then they have a glass of wine, they get a little loose. I've had Christians tell me that ministry leaders, oh yeah, I just... I like to feel a little loose. I like to, I like to, you know, let's, you know, let the edge off. Foolishness in the body of Christ. Stupidity. That's not good. You know, it leads. One leads into the other. One is a doorway into another. People talk about marijuana. Oh yeah, it's legalized now. That's fine. It's legalized everywhere. But is it good for you? Yeah, you know, it's okay, you know, I, I it, it helps loosen me, I, I feel better. Okay. Look at what they're legalizing now. States are legalizing, you know, magic mushrooms. Everything's legalized. It's going to get worse and worse and worse in the last days. Sorcery. Remember our study in the Book of Acts? Sorcery, pharmakia, narcotics, the use of narcotics. It's getting more and more. Very interesting. The rise of narcotics, opiates, the rise of all these things. I think magic mushrooms being legalized. All these things being legalized. For such a time as this. Very interesting, this convergence of these last day signs. No, don't forget the vow of the Nazarite. And you make a choice. I'm not advocating the law. But the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. The spirit of the law, you make your choice and honor your vows before the Lord in service unto him. The type of vessel that you want to be, the type of vessel that you choose to be. You see? In verse 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Very interesting. So it's good for the church. Corporately speaking, it's good for the church. But to you, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God individually. Remember, sometimes, you know, there are corporate messages, which is, wow, this is for the church at large. This is for everybody. And this is still for everybody. Romans, 1, Romans 14 is for everybody. But there are individualistic aspects of it. Have your faith to yourself before God. It's in service unto the Lord. Just like verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 12, each of us shall give an account to himself. And in verse 22, 
Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Individually. Individually. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. This dokimazo in the Greek. Dokimazo in the Greek. It's to test, to examine, to discern, and then to approve. It's freedom in Christ. And not just freedom in Christ to commit this sin, to commit that sin. Not that kind of freedom. Not like a not like a libertarian type of approach. If you you know to get political, not to get political, but to give that example, not to have a libertarian approach in our faith, but to have freedom with dokimatsu, which is to have this discernment, this examination, this testing, and then this approval. It's that filter, the holy filter, as we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's that holy filter to meditate on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. It's a holy filter. You see? You apply the holy filter in your life. You test, you examine, and you make this discernment. Oh, I'm going to go fellowship with this brother. I'm going to go have a meal with this sister. And this sister won't touch lobster. Okay. I won't won't touch the lobster. I won't eat lobster. Why? For the sake of that soul. And then the sister starts saying, Oh, yeah, you know, my friends wanted me to go to ladies night at the bar. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you do? I didn't go. Wow, praise the Lord. Why didn't you go? Well, because, you know, the Bible said, wow, praise be to the Lord. It's dokimatsu. You make this discernment. You make this self-examination. This discernment. This testing. Does it, does it stand the test of Scripture? Holy Scripture. Is it pleasing to the Lord? So, yes, you know, our freedom in Christ isn't like a libertarian approach where, you know, you know, everything is good. You know, it's okay. I can get high. I can do my magic mushrooms. It's legal now. I can do my magic mushrooms. I can go get high. I can get drunk. I can drink a glass of wine, which leads to, a, you know, a glass of bourbon, which leads to a bottle of whiskey. Oh, yeah. Praise be to the Lord. No way. Dokimatsu. You have to examine. You have to discern. You have to test. And does it align with scripture? If the answer is yes, praise be to the Lord. If the answer is no, don't do it. Don't make that choice. And the only way that this can happen is when you know scripture. When you personally know the Bible and the word of God. I don't care what any pastor says. Because pastors today, in these last days, are saying, let's go grave soaking. Oh yeah, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Oh yeah, it's okay to perform this sexually. It's okay to do this, it's okay to do that. Pastors are so-called pastors. And if you remember our study in Acts 20, shepherds can become wolves. And in the last days, shepherds will become wolves. Discernment. Dokimatsu in the Greek. 
discernment. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does, he does not eat from faith. Wow, you, you, you hear that? Eat from faith? I didn't even know it was possible to eat from faith. You hear this and you're like, well, I didn't even know. Well, yes, it is possible to eat from faith. It is possible to eat from faith. What does that look like? What does that look like? What does service unto the Lord, what does sacrifice unto the Lord look like? Well, if you have your Bible open, which I pray you do, I'll read again. I'll read again from Hebrews 13. Or Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What about the joy? That is set before you, my beloved friend, my beloved brother, my beloved sister. What about the joy that is set before you? And what is it that you will endure? You see? Everything you do, let it be in faith. Even eating. Let it be done in faith. Even eating. Everything you do, no matter what, let it be in the faith. Now, in closing, going back to Romans 14, verse 23. For whatever is not from faith is sin. That's hardcore. This is how we walk. By faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. That's hardcore. And yet that is how the Christian must walk. Somebody says, oh, I walk by sight. I walk by sight. I walk by the things I see. And I'm fine. I'm good to go. Well, if that's you, look where you're headed. It's not a good road. Look where you're headed. And from my own Witness the things that I've seen, the things that I've observed. 100% of people that I see and who have told me that they walk by sight, 100% of them eventually fall. Eventually. Oh, I'm going to go to the strip club. I'm going to walk by sight. You see? Oh, I'm going to go grave soaking. You see, false doctrine always precedes the false teacher. And those who adhere are the blind following the blind. And if the blind follow the blind, then both fall into a ditch. That's why I say 100% of those who walk by sight will eventually fall, will eventually be in a ditch. You must walk by faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin, as beautiful Brother Paul says.
an exhortation to the church, an exhortation to the saint. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.